Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversational Witchcraft with me, Dawn the Kitchen Witch. I'm super excited today. Uh, we have two guests uh, known as the Missing Witches. Not sure if you guys have followed them, know anything about them, but you're about to learn everything. They are amazing. We've got Risa Dickens and Amy Torek, the co-authors of New Moon Magic 13 Anti-Capitalists Tools for Resistance and Re-Enchantment, due out September 2023. And they've also collaborated on Missing Witches Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, which came out in March 2021. Bust Magazine wrote, Dickens and Torek teach us what it means to create art, engage in activism, and exist at the intersection of witchcraft and feminism. Holy crap, you guys. Missing Witches is here. This is incredible. Uh, as I was saying before we hit the record button, um, I've been following you guys on Instagram for a while. Um, always blown away by your content. And when you guys reached out to me to be on the show, I was like, oh my God. So I'm going to try not to fangirl on you because um, you're fucking outstanding. And I need to know how you got where you are like, I want to learn everything about your journey. So, um, yeah, so let's just jump right in and tell me, how did you guys meet? Why did you start this? Like, what was the evolution of all of that? Our origin story is super cute and we love telling it. So thank you for asking. Um, Risa and I, uh, were both living in Montreal and we were both producing like weird independent musical art showcases but we had never crossed paths really somehow and then a mutual friend of ours put us both on the bill for a ukulele bizarro showcase um i think so, we need a definition of what exactly is a ukulele bizarro show right so um i remember coming home carrying my ukulele this was many many years ago you know Risa and I have been friends for a long time and uh, a, a guy I knew was biking past and he was like what are you doing and I was like ah oh, ukulele is gonna be the next hot thing and we <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed and then like ukulele became this hipster thing totally so, anyway thing. that's kind of a sidetrack but um yeah this we both play ukulele um but this friend of ours was sort of like Again, this is something we do. We're always looking for the weird, you know? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just, like, people playing ukulele. It was, like, people who had interesting ideas about what they could do with the ukulele. <laughs> yeah, well, we might as well. So Chris Muir was the um, creator of the Ukulele Bizarro, and she performs under an alter ego called Lederhosen Lucille, and she's, like, you know, the epitome of, like, magical bizarro I performance love it art. I so much really fun sing-along music also um and so yeah meeting a friend through somebody like that you're already like well this person's gonna be fucking awesome yeah but um but yeah and amy was performing i don't i don't remember what your set was that night but i remember sets at that time where it was these like you'd make these layered soundscapes with the ukulele and your voice was so i remember you doing a mashup of crazy by beyonce and uh does that make me crazy like and it was so epic amy's voice is transcendent um and i was telling these like small creepy family ghost story things i mean we're so different but we met in in the green room and and fell in love 
first of all, the fact that you're both witches who play the ukulele and you happen to be in the same place at the same time doing something you both love, but like you said, uh, Risa, on on opposite spectrum, like on the opposite sides of the spectrum of that same weirdness, you're like, oh, my people. (laughs) I mean amazing amazing so it was just kismet it was love at first sight and you guys have never have been best friends ever since i mean like yep yeah. i mean pretty much <laughs> <laughs> pretty much i mean it turned out um i i'm actually uh, a little bit after we met we sort of kept in touch and then i moved to reese's neighborhood so you know like when you're a kid like the people in your neighborhood are going to be the people you hang out with and and it just so happened that you know we got along so beautifully that it was it was like a real Mr. Rogers neighborhood vibe to have like that community, but also that like soul connection just, you know, steps away. Sure, the kindred yeah. spirit of it all. The kindred spirit of it all. Oh my gosh, the bosom friends of it all. Exactly. We lived on opposite sides of like the biggest open air farmer's market in North America, John Talon market. So you could, we could like wind our way through this market. So beautiful and noisy and colorful and good smelling. And then I could end up in like Amy's cozy house and we would like scream, sing. We were just remembering last night if there was a period where Amy was working on an idea for like a Harold and Maude choir. So every time I went over, she would make me play every Cat Stevens song from Harold and Maude from beginning to end and teach me the harmonies with like a firm hand. (laughs) That's hilarious. Were you guys like, just as a a side note, um, I've talked to a lot of witches that their early lives before they became quote professional witches making their living doing witchcraft their early lives are often art related but in art it's usually musical arts were you guys um you know what's just for my because i'm a i'm a music nerd um i i my partner is a musician I did music my whole life before I decided I was going to be a kitchen witch. Um, <clears throat> was that your path? Did that think? Did you guys think that was your path there? And then did you find anything within the music that you could kind of dovetail into your witchcraft practice now? Um, so yes, 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 and yes. Um, uh, I mean, I... I didn't grow up in a musical household insofar as like there were a lot of instrument players. There was a piano because that's just what one did, you know, mm. back in the back in the day. I actually inherited the little spinet. It lives at my house now. It's like a piano, but missing a few octaves. Anyway. <laughs> um and not even a particularly creative family, but I I started collecting records like some of my first memories are collecting records um i've always been into music like i was in the school choir and Mm -hmm. then the church choir and then a performance choir and then you know i started a band and then i was like i was a backup singer and um recently and i definitely think of ourselves as sonic witches among yes. among also being kitchen witches and yes. also being green witches and all of that like music is so much a part of not just how we connected but how we connect mm-hmm. to the universe mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know about necessarily m- musical i didn't think of myself as an artist though i, I am like a visual artist mm-hmm. now but i 
I always thought of myself as a very creative person. I think it was because like I couldn't replicate. I couldn't draw something that like looked like the thing. So I was like, well, I'm not an artist, but you know, abstract art teaches us you don't necessarily have to render like the Dutch master in order to be a creative person. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, creativity and witchcraft for us are, are wholly linked, are wholly linked. Like so much of our witchcraft practice is just like the, the play of, of art making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll add like, I mean, it's funny when I met Amy to me, she was a professional musician, you know, she was playing in different bands. Um, I was not like, I, I had written these weird songs that were kind of like earworms that were like stored. Like I was like, I was being haunted. Like there was things in my life that needed to change that I couldn't, say out loud yeah. until I had sang them in a song 7,000 times. And then I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> I've been singing about this breakup for three years. I need to do it now. <laughs> like that wow. kind of thing. Wow. Um, music has always been like a spell for me, but I was never a musician, you know, like I would write songs just on my way to and from school every day, but it would just be a melody line over and over and over and over and over and over and over that I couldn't shake. Um, I was more, I've always been more like a writer and an organizer. Like I love I love building community. That's like, I think really exciting and interesting and fun and how you make spaces for people to come together and how you make that safe enough and like to value everybody's capabilities and to like let people feel that they can unmask and show their magic and how you can like make a space where people feel listened to and where the like kind of, of just a moment of like joy could happen. I think that's such fascinating, cool shit. So that was that's probably more the kind of magic I really. I was also a theater kid. That's probably where that comes from, right? Yeah, theater. Us theater weird theater kids. Uh, like I always found like the community of being in theater. Which again, my my partner who's a musician, but he's like the band guy. Do you right. know what I mean? Like he's like mm-hmm. he's gone from band to band to band to band. He doesn't really understand the community of putting together, you know, all, you know, all these people like that you learn when you're a theater kid and you come together, all these people come together to do this one thing for like three months. You spend every waking minute together to do this thing. And then it's over and you're like, where'd my people go? You know, and then you have to do it again. And you, right. Um, but that's, that is, that's very magical, I think. And, and I don't think that we realized that we learned those, um, principles of gathering those principles of collective energy to create something until we are you know you know in our 30s and 40s and we're looking back and going oh wait a second I remember when we (gasps) did this kind of thing in high school and we did this kind of thing in college and and it was transcendent um it's also like uh, I have a friend who works in large-scale productions and we were talking about this, like comparing how we humans have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people. Mm. And, and but I, I was talking to them about it through this lens of like, well, you work in the theater, you need actors, you need script writers, you need sound people, you need someone operating the spotlight, you, you need, you know, ticket sale, you need all of these people. And well, maybe there's a star, but none of the production happens without all of these different, see, not just people working together, but different people with different skill sets and different loves and, mm-hmm. and values even working together on a single thing. To me, it's a beautiful metaphor for how we can work yes. as a coven or, or as a human populace. Yes. And you need the or spectator. non-human populace too. You need the <laughs> spectator, right? Yes. You can put yes. all that together 
but without someone who is receiving the energy from all of these different types of people, that energy has nowhere to go. Right. So you need, you know, someone like myself who used to love being in theater and used to perform all the time. And now I'm just like a nerd that goes to, you know, um, community theater productions by myself um, <laughs> because I still I still need it. You know, I am now where I spent so much of my life giving that energy. Now I'm on the receiving end and you need that as well. Right. Whether it's magic or theater or music, you need somebody to hear what you're doing or see what you're doing so that you are right. continuing that cycle of energetic balance. Yes. I just wanted to pick up what you were saying about that feeling that we had when we would do it would become our lives and we would become a family and then it would be over. Yeah. And they'll like how bereft like that for me was truly why I didn't pursue theater like it was the loss like how heartbroken I felt at the end how unmoored how it felt like this thing was gone um I hated that and so I was I'd be I, that's really why I became interested in like a studying media and building online community and like trying to build a, a way a way that you could go back and forth between like the vibrancy of like a moment that just exists in that moment mm. to feed into something where you could continue to build webs, you could continue to build networks. And so I, I, you know, for us, like there was podcasting, but then we were like, well, we need the coven and we need the community and we need to like see these people's faces and learn from them and have these like, not just feedback loops, but feedback webs. And yeah, so I, I'm so interested in the performance aspect, the ways that we learn from theater ritual, and we learn how to like step into and invent a world and, and that we're, t we can like believe that other possibilities can exist because we can embody them. Like I think all of that, I think we can learn from theater. But then I want to take that knowledge and stretch it across time, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of, um, brings me to the next question, which was what happened between now we're playing ukulele, now we're living in the same neighborhood, and now we have this crazy missing witches, like you said, coven and books and, and all this partnership. First of all, were you both into witchcraft at the time of your meeting? If not, tell us a story about how you found witchcraft, and then tell us the story of how you became instead of becoming Amy and Risa, how you became the missing witches. All right, I'll start this, but we'll, we'll toss this one back and forth. We, um, we were both always witches. I mean, come on. Like, you know, Amy, I, Amy once said on a podcast and I felt so like shook by this ever since, like there was two options when we were growing up, we could be princesses or witches. And I didn't fucking relate to the princess, you know? Um, yes. And I really, really relate to that. You know, going back to acting, like I had friends that were going on and becoming professional actors and stuff. And I was like, what? This is only fun for me if I get to be the bad guy. And I don't see a world where like 16 year old girl gets to be the bad guy. So I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, like that doesn't really show up that much as an mm -hmm. option in scripts for like you know mm -hmm. ytv or whatever so fuck this um definitely looking back there are so many i only found out recently that my great-grandmother was a cunning woman but there are so many things in my life that made me feel just magical like so many times and i think that's also part of being um a bit lonely and like a bit othered mm. and going through some fractured stuff in life mm -hmm. um 
but then yeah, Amy and I, uh, we were playing music together in a way that was kind of magical already because of the way we had met, you know, we met in a, this sort of liminal space in a green room where you're both performers and artists and anything is possible and anything is allowed. So it was easier than with other people you might meet to be like, um, I'm, I'm doing a Herald and Mod choir, let's practice. Or like, you know, like, it's just like, here's an invention and, and you believe in it and you make it real because that's the context under which you met, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then neither of us can really remember when we started practicing magic together. We've talked about this a bunch. It was suddenly just something we were all, we had a circle of women, some single women, some people in relationships. We would meet in community gardens or at Amy's house or at my house. We would practice on the porch. We were laughing. We were fucking around. You know, it was an art practice. It was singing. It was like drinking and making dinner together and then like running around the house improvising a love spell. You know, it was like, it was just free and fun. Um, and that is kind of how it started. Yeah. And, and wow. I want to add that there, that there's something in the, in the circle. When I, when I say that, I mean like a circle of witches, you know, that it's sort of understood that this is a place that allows vulnerability because oftentimes, you know, you go into this witch circle sort of pleading to deities or spirits or ancestors. You have to be honest about what your life is missing. You're not going to go into a witch circle with your dear friends mm. And pretend everything's cool. Like what you just aren't gonna show up. You're just not gonna go to this if you if your intention is just like pretend everything's cool and mm-hmm. don't don't let your real, you know, problems or insecurities. So uh, that is is what makes it wonderful to me, is that understanding that when you go there, like you don't have to have your shit together. We're here to ask for help from the universe. And if you don't need any help, well. That's great. Start helping other people. Right. <laughs> Just help me. Right. Help, help the rest of the people in the circle. So right. there is this, it's a different feeling when you're in this environment than when you're, say, like going to work or going to the bar or going to any other place in the world, really, where you have to put on your best face. This way you can you can relinquish your best face. And just, wow. you know, get real. It sounds it sounds silly to say, but it it's it's about getting real yeah. and, and and speaking the words and, and speaking your vulnerabilities. It's it's huge. I think that's a really wonderful point that you bring up is that when you are in, you know, I mean the, the cliche or or you know, the saying, you know, we come into this circle in perfect love and perfect trust is saying to yourself and to the people that you are doing ritual with, whether it is a specific coven or whether you just happen to go to a public ritual or it's you by yourself or you and your best friend, allowing yourself perfect love and perfect trust, meaning I'm going to let you see the dark parts of myself and I am here to hold space for the dark parts of you. And we're going to kind of work through that together spiritually in whatever way that feels right for us. And I I definitely think that not everybody gets that or not everybody does that or not every people, especially uh, right now with, uh, you know, you see a lot of like TikTok videos and young, pe- very young people coming into witchcraft and what they're finding, you know, and it's, you know, all this like fluffy, fluffy stuff that's not necessarily correct. Um, but it doesn't have that vulnerability to it. It doesn't have that, you know, 
the gross parts that we need to explore, that we can explore through witchcraft with others that allows us to move through it and really start creating, right? And and creating, what I mean by creating is not just necessarily art, but also creating the world, creating spaces, creating change, not only in our own personal lives, but in the lives of people around us. Would you agree? Well, so here's what comes to mind about that. And I do agree. But lately, I've also just been thinking like, spaces like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, like, the content we're putting up there, you know, it reaches people, but it's performative. Yes. It's mostly like we're mostly making millionaires richer there. You know, we don't own any of our shit there. They're they're mining, uh, you know, our movements, our interactions as a community to sell it to other people. Like that's a performance space. So fine. Like maybe it doesn't allow for the kind of vulnerability that I need to make real magic. Like I I don't talk a lot about how I practice, although I talk on the podcast all the time, but like the ways that I practice, I try not to photograph or video yes. or talk about like that shit is personal. It's so personal. Yes. Like it's so, you know, for me to to even try to put into words how I think about it is hard sometimes. And so it's fine. Like let the kids perform it and perform their way through it as they find it. You know, I think that I don't spend a lot of time there. So maybe it's really fucked up, but maybe it's really cool. I don't know. But for me, I'm like, I want to, I want to like build spaces that allow for the kind of vulnerability that you're talking about. And I, I, maybe I just don't think that those performance spaces are the right ones for me for that. I would agree with you a hundred percent. And I haven't thought about it as performative, but when you change that perspective, it makes so much sense. Hmm. And that's something that we're working toward. You know, Risa is a community builder um, professionally and personally and spiritually and and creatively. So that's something that we're working on right now is is building an online coven community that's outside of these sort of meta spaces. Literally meta. Literally (laughs) meta, right? (laughs) No, and, and I love that too because... You know, going back to the point but we were talking about before about these, the morning that you get after being in a show, right? Um, I honestly, seriously believe that a huge reason why um, I've built my company the way I have and, you know, kind of created this family situation that we have at Kachina Aurora. And then we have these, these other, like we do like um, seasonal events and stuff. And it's always the same group that comes back year after year that these are spiritual and magical connections that fill that gap and create belonging for me because in my birth family, I did not feel that, but I did get that when I joined theater. I did get that when I started doing music. I did get that when I, you know, started learning about witchcraft and 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 getting into these communities in spaces that were that allowed me that vulnerability, that allowed me to show up as I was, as opposed to like my, you know, family of origin and the Catholic church in which I was raised, where it was incredibly conditional. So as an adult witch, I've created spaces for myself where I can be show, like show up as I am. And that's what you are creating for community as well as yourselves. What is the drive there for your own personal growth 
to create that space? And what do you hope others get from those spaces you are creating? The whole drive is personal growth. The whole drive, the whole uh, um, gestation period of the project that was to be born was um, Risa and I reading about people. There was one book about, I'm not going to say the title. It was about um, the occult and rock and roll. This was years, right? That's what I said. And then I read it and Risa was like, I'm next. And another one of our friends was like, I'm next. And I read it and there wasn't a single fucking woman in it. Mm. I'm sorry. There wasn't a single woman in Mm. it. And we're talking about witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And then when you, when you see this and it's so abjectly lacking, um, I don't, this isn't exactly where the title came from this story, but the, we were like, where the witches are missing. Mm. The witches were missing from our educations. Like when Risa started telling me about Pixie Coleman Smith and I was like, who? And she was like, you know, that rider weight tarot deck that literally like everyone has <laughs> the first deck that probably most people, at least back then, you know, yeah. now the world is you know, full of beautiful, gorgeous Oracle decks, but back then, you know, and I had never heard of the person who did all the artwork. Mm -hmm. I had heard of the men who surrounded her, uh, the men who got famous, but I had never heard of Pixie Quillen Smith. And so, yeah, that's the personal growth for us is like, what are we missing Let's try to find real people. That's why uh, that's why our project isn't we don't really talk too much about deities or that kind of thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. we have a lot of space in our in our in our consciousness for you know gods and goddesses and god, etc. But we wanted to find real people. Right. Because we both have post-secondary education, we both have degrees. And they they were lacking. They were fundamentally lacking. And I even did women's studies. I I took, you know, reading women writing right. and, you know, all of these things. And right. I still, it, I was still lacking. Even in my feminist-focused academic career, I had missed so much because it wasn't on the curriculum. So for Risa and I, the personal growth is like establishing our curriculum and and we've talked about this before where it almost becomes like an act of speculative fiction like what would the world look like if these people had been allowed to publish go to school like all the things that marginalized people weren't allowed to do have a voice in the choir of the zeitgeist what would Mm -hmm. our world even look like Mm -hmm. so we get really excited by by these notions and then I mean, the project can only expand from there. Someone asked Teresa once, like, aren't you worried you're going to run out? And we're like, no. Every time we discover one, it's like, you know, the mycelial network of spores and and trees. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think there was something that you touched on earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, where um, I'm not sure if it was you, Risa, that said, or you, Amy, but... You said um, anyone that had been othered, and then as you just said here in this situation, in in what you're talking about, the marginalized peoples, and I I think oftentimes, even I think about marginalized peoples as indigenous indigenous people, people of color, um, and I kind of forget 
that women are so often othered, you know, we are separated, right? And that's why we're left out of stories. We are, you know, I mean, like you said, how, how can we be learning about witchcraft and the, the, you know, where my witch is at? Like, how come my bitches aren't in there? Like, what's going on? You know? Um, yeah. And we, we are left out of those stories. And you forget women are also so left out. At least I forget until I see something and I go, oh, hang on a second. Look, there's a woman. Yeah. I never realized yeah. that she wasn't there before until I saw her there. And, and this is something I love about witchcraft as a project is like, you know, white women have had a lot of power comparatively, you know, like white women have had a lot of privilege and a lot of power. Mm -hmm. But when we put the history of the witch hunts and the like multiple international colonial project of the witch hunts and the way those were enacted both upon women's bodies, but then back into the context of the way that was enacted upon like black bodies and indigenous people and, you know, queer people. When we put ourselves back into that context, well, it's so exciting. I mean, it's fucking infuriating, but it's so exciting to be like, there are all of us here and we are the stories and like we are the earth and like we can if we put ourselves into that context there's such more valuable work to be done and sustaining and supporting each other and learning from each other's stories and putting ourselves back into the bodies you know into the 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 soil of those who have been marginalized and oppressed that is what happens to women still all around the world and and not just women, right? And so I, that's what I think is kind of exciting about witchcraft as activism, you know, because it's like we we have this role to play together in hearing, listening to each other. Yeah, because because the witch is innately and inherently anti-capitalist. So we are a threat to capitalism, um, anti-racist, because we recognize that we are all one. So we are a threat to white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And even if you look at the Salem witch trials, the most famous, you know, American witch trial, the first three women, there were a couple men scattered in there, but the first three women were who is a black woman. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the other two's names. I'm sorry. Um, a black woman, uh, a woman whose husband died and she refused to give over his fortune and mm -hmm. instead married her lover. Mm -hmm. And the third one was like a poor woman who didn't go to church mm -hmm. and walked around the street sort of. Yes. You know? So we have, we have a black woman, we have a poor woman, and then we have like the most terrifying that the sexually and financially free woman mm -hmm. and these these are the these are the witches so again like being a witch identifying as a witch whether that label is cast upon us or whether we take it for themselves is is inherently tied to colonialism racism capitalism um the 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 professionalization of medicine as a, mm. as a money as a moneyed job i mean again like i just i i'm gonna i'm gonna mute my microphone in a second but i just have to say like women in canada we live in canada women in canada weren't allowed to have credit cards in their own names until the 1970s yes yeah, us too in america yep and and if you think that that dna from all of patriarchal history mm -hmm. up until the 1970s, when your mom or your grandmother or your great-grandma was allowed to have a credit card, you're wrong. <laughs> this scarcity, desperation, 
of of being a marginalized person who's not allowed to have their own agency. Mm-hmm. That's why we get this this the the myth of the caddy female. I think because we're so conditioned to compete with each other for resources. That oh God, yes. We become competitive because if we don't have a husband. We are fucked. If you don't have a husband, you don't have any land, you don't have mm-hmm. nothing, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And this is why women fight over men because it's still in our D. De- I'm going to mute now because I you're, need to like- she's like, I'm on my soapbox. I am 100% with you, Amy. Like, I am 100% with you. Like, when you start get- digging through the history of how women have been marginalized and how we have been held back, and you go, okay, if we tie in that, um, you know, not having being able to get credit cards until the 1970s, which is fucking insane. Okay, the 1970s was not that long ago. All right, young people out there, the 1970s was not that long ago. Okay, all right, but it all happened around birth control. So birth control comes in now. Birth control is available, and women don't have to get married right out of high school. They can go to college. They don't have to be, you know, home pregnant all the time. They have more sexual freedom. They can, you know, enjoy their bodies and the bodies bodies of their partners. And oh, now we're going to get more financial freedom because we can uh, we can work. We can work be in the workforce because we don't we aren't strapped down to children. We can have credit cards because now it's a seven and money people want to make money off of our good fortune right so all of that happens to and we start inching towards those freedoms and that inching towards some of that equality as women and then now we have all the and I'm gonna have to mute myself because I'm gonna get all the shit that's going on here especially here in the U.S. with uh you know rolling back Roe v. Wade and birth control and I just can't I just can't um but back to witchcraft. <clears throat> One of the things I really, you know, is so exciting about what you do is witchcraft as activism. And I want to make a couple of points and ask a couple of questions. And this is going to be kind of a, a sweeping statements and sweeping uh, conversation here because I have so much to say and I don't, and I really want your, your reactions and your, your uh, expertise and your opinions. For myself personally, and I can only speak from my own personal point of view, oftentimes I feel overwhelmed because there is so much to do, to fix, to heal. And I feel often that I am powerless and I cannot use what I do as activism in a traditional sense so I would like to know how, what is your opinion on that particular uh, conundrum that I think a lot of people, a lot of witches, a lot of women feel. Following that up with, just for argument's sake, we are three white women, right? Oftentimes I feel I cannot speak to these types of things because of the privilege that I have been lucky enough to uh, participate in and um, grow up in. Not saying that my life wasn't fucking hard and that I don't deal with these things as well, but oftentimes I feel like I cannot speak in this space. I do not know enough. It's not my place. How can I help without, um, you know, appropriating or, or hurting someone's feelings or someone going, bitch, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. 
So I really want you guys to speak on on those topics, if you would, please. Yeah, and those are super real questions. I mean, for us too, this is something we're still kind of constantly negotiating. I'll tell you some things that we've tried and things that we think about, uh, things that I, make me feel some ease around this subject. Um, one is, okay, we always go back to Lily Moon. She said, uh, you know, astrology can help you find your place in the revolution. So astrology or whatever you use, the key question is, what is your place in the revolution? With your capacities, with your body today, what does the revolution look like? What can you do today? And like, you're not here, you know, as Ola Omi says, you're not here to be a fucking beast of burden. You're here also to like experience papaya juice running down your face. So to tell it to constantly be whipping ourselves that we have more is not, you know, a spirit having a human experience. So we have to kind of balance that, find our place in the revolution today. Amy always says, do one thing. You know, when, when we're in the overwhelm, when we're in the crush of the terror of injustice and inequality, can you find one thing today? Is it one direct aid donation? Can you write one letter? Is there one thing? Can you bring bread to a neighbor? Is there one concrete thing you can do today and make it an offering and make it a gift and make it part of your spiritual practice. Mm. Other thing that's kind of been core for us is reparations. If you want to, if you want a way out of the spiral of the guilt of being, you know, a white person with privilege, make sure that somewhere in your practice, you're making reparations. It's like an incredible act. It's like, it, this is the thing that eases my mind the most every month. We donate our earnings from Patreon and missing witches. Our entire earnings go to the native women's shelter. Uh, you said I. You said every month. We're every not month, every month. May, every May. <laughs> One month a year. <laughs> Thank you. We don't. We don't. Um, you know, we also have bills, and we also have to live in the world. Yeah. So yeah. our project is also like not sustainable yet, but it's growing like crazy. And part of how it grows is us being able to say, this is how we make reparations. It's May. It's the month of May. We do an annual fundraiser. You know, the new age has been appropriative and extractive in a lot of ways from indigenous culture. So let's call it like it fucking is. Let's center indigenous voices and let's give lots of people an opportunity either to donate a prize, like a lot of readings, a lot of healing, poetry, like people donate all kinds of cool stuff in May. And then we raffle it off and people can make an act of reparations to either the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal or to a similar org where they live. And then let us know about those orgs and let's amplify them. Let's tell their stories. Like, I think really taking seriously, like where you are, you know, Nikki Sanchez in Decolonization is for Everyone asks us to know research, spend time, whose land did your grandmother grow up on? Mm. Take the time, really. What are the treaties? What are the mm. treaties that affected that land? What is the story of those treaties beyond what's written in, you know, white history books? Because there's a lot of bias that happens in those places. Take a little time. 
what is the history? Who were the keepers of the land your grandmother grew up on? And can you start there to make reparations and not to make reparations in a performative gesture where you're the one doing all the talking or you have to be the leader, you know? You don't have to be the leader. There's been people doing that work for a long time. You can go maybe volunteer some labor. We love that story about uh, Doreen Valiente when she finally went to the like Wiccan club and she was so excited to meet them and she offered to do the dishes and they were like, like, or you could be the featured speaker at the next thing and like 500 people crowded in and she sat on a little chair and spoke for three hours while they cheered. But her, her thought was like, I could help. I could do know? the dishes. I could cook the meal. Like I could, yeah. you know, I, I really like that, that, um, do one thing. And that is sort of something that uh, is, is part of my practice is kindness matters, right? And that these ripples through the world, that's how we change things is by being kind, accepting and, and, uh, you know, empathetic and compassionate to everyone, even, you know, like the crazy right wing people, like, uh, like, I don't want to hang out with you, but I don't wish you ill, you know, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I be kind, hold the door for someone. Like you said, make a loaf of bread for someone. Can you participate in your community? Can you do anything to help? Right. I love that. Do one thing. We always say that the revolution will be babysat. Um, but I, I, I also want to add that we, we encounter this a lot of like the paralysis of white guilt <sighs> and it's understandable because you don't want to do the wrong thing. That's my number one. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm going to do nothing because that's the safest way <sighs> we have. We have to get out of that mindset. And if you need help with that, don't come to me. Don't come to Risa. Go straight to Audrey Lord. Go straight to Audrey Lord. Pick up. She's dead now. You can't go to her person, but she has left a body of work. Go and pick up a copy of Sister Outsider. Start thinking about intersectionality and how intersectionality means that you are a part of that. Mm. Intersectionality means we are meeting together. Um, and and it ca- it can be tempting, it, you know. It, it, it's it's a very weird time, you know, where it's it's. And I guess this has happened all over the world in all kinds of ways, you know, whether it be for your your religion or or anything, where you have to keep silent, otherwise. Yeah. Um, but this is the the this is we can't keep silent. You're, even Audrey Lord said, your silence will not protect you. Yes. Even Audrey Lord said, thank you, Audrey, once again, for, for giving me the exact words that I needed in this moment. Your silence will not protect you. And um, if you think that it, it's a coincidence that in the past few years, we've seen the American government coming for Black lives, um, for abortion, for queer people and mm-hmm. drag, for mm-hmm. trans people. Mm-hmm. They're coming for all of us. Mm-hmm. And your silence will not protect you. Mm-hmm. But I also want to add this. Again, in this like internet world, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I really hope somebody hears it today. You can't care about everything. You can't. Mm. Human beings were not meant to be absorbing a 24-hour cycle of global carnage. Right. You can't care about everything, but you have to care about something. And if it means picking one thing and caring about it, 
then do that. But I, I want to absolve all of your listeners and viewers. You can't care about every single thing. This is where you have to protect yourself because you won't be able to function anyway. I can't solve all the world's problems, right? But we might, we might be able to get help get a new van for the women's native shelter of right. Montreal. Right. That we can do. So that's again like a micro focus is so useful for me because I get overwhelmed and I grieve and I'm not good enough mm-hmm. and I'm not doing enough. And mm-hmm. it's not useful. It's not mm-hmm. useful for me to like sit and be a Chiona about, you know, what's happening in the world and allowing that to freeze me, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point, and thank you for making it. Um, I, I also think there is within the witchcraft community um, this, you know, we often uh, and and I say this over and over again that oftentimes people's practices are in the ether, right? We're lighting candles, we're lighting incense, we're, you know, we're doing spiritual work, but we're not actually taking that spiritual work or that intention and bringing it into physical. Being, We're not actually saying, okay, um, here's the physical work that I'm doing and I'm going to go and, you know, build Habitat for Humanity or I'm going to go and, you know, help repair this van for the women's shelter or, or, or whatever you're doing. It's great if you want to do a magic spell and, uh, you know, put a little satchel together of herbs that are going to help with, you know, equality and justice. And that's awesome. And now take that, put it in your pocket and go out in the world and do something. Be active, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, use your power to protect protesters, you know? Like, you Mm. don't have to be, if you're a white woman, it's nice if you put yourself at the front line of a protest, if that's something you're physically capable of. We aren't all, like, chronic illness drastically affects women. So you are, I'm not saying do it if you can't do it. But if there's an opportunity for you to put yourself physically in a protest, to use your power to call forth, you know, some peace, some magic, to use your smile, to use your poetry, to use your song, to cast some protection around people who are way more likely to be subject to violence than you, then fucking do that, you know? But also on a smaller scale, we talk about this a lot, like the most radical daily spell that you can cast is to tell the truth. So... Tell the fucking truth. Like if you're uncomfortable in a space, if someone, you know, you can start to identify what does a what does a microaggression feel like in my body? If someone is being hurtful towards other people, they're making comments, call up your power and tell the fucking truth. This isn't okay. Sorry, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna I'm gonna identify that this isn't okay. Right. You know, you can you can be that power in a room or you can say, I need to tell the truth about what happened in our family. Or I need to tell the truth about whose land we're on. Or I need to tell the truth and say, this witchcraft space is great, but it's not explicitly trans-inclusive. And that's a problem for me because people are getting fucking murdered. You know, you can speak up that telling the truth is radical magic. You can change the whole electrical dynamics of the room you're in. And and that spreads through communities of people. So I think that's a, that's a, radical power that witches have i am literally (laughs) writing that down and i want to like have it tattooed on my forehead right like (laughs) telling the truth is radical magic and that is not just about telling the truth of what you see going on around you which is incredibly important but it is also about telling the truth to yourself 
especially within yes. your practice, why am I here? Why am I doing this spell? Why do I feel called to be around these people? What is it that makes me feel powerful, makes me feel connected, right? Tell the truth. Telling the truth is radical magic. Holy effing shit. That's like awesome. Awesome. We we call it a spell because it's like, tell the truth and watch the world change. Mm. Tell the truth and watch the the room change. Your home. Tell the truth and watch the world change. It's like Risa said, it's it's one of the one of the greatest spells that we can conjure. But Risa, you maybe I have to say it real quick. You made me think of um to, to maybe the listeners, viewers, um do you remember a show called Kimmy Schmidt? Oh my God, the incredible Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, the, uh, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable, so unbreakable, she, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. So she spends several years in like, a, she's been kidnapped and held in like an underground bunker. The bunker, that's it. Um, and and then, you know, the the the, the mole women <laughs> are, are freed and, you know, they're, they're on some talk show and the talk show host says to Kimmy Schmidt, or to the audience. Um, it never ceases to amaze me how far women will go to not seem impolite. Yes. Like, don't get in the van. <laughs> Be a bitch who says, hell no, I'm not helping you move this couch into your van. Mm-hmm. Hell no, I'm not helping you look for your dog in the night in the park. Mm-hmm. Hell no, I'd rather be alive and impolite than mm-hmm. in a bunker. Mm-hmm. I don't know what exactly you said, Risa, that made me think of it, but like, think of Kimmy, think of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Like, right. no, I don't want to be here. This feels dangerous. I don't care if you think I'm a rotted, gutted bitch. I'm leaving now. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm going back to to chronic illness because I think in this context, it's so important too. It's like telling the truth about where you're at in your body mm. to yourself. Like that is also an anti-capitalist practice, right? Because if you're like, the truth in my fucking body is I cannot sit at this goddamn <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> this, not this one, this one's fun. But like, oh, you know, I, <laughs> this one's good. No, but like, I can't sit another second. My body is literally like aching and creaking. Right. Right. I'm wanting to fall into the floor, but I know that what it actually needs, there's a tiny seed in me that knows I just need to be outside. I have to walk and hug trees and be outside outside like that is radical anti-capitalist magic to listen to your body and be like i need to smell this earth right now and everything else needs to shut up i need to listen i can't eat that food anymore i can't eat those preservatives anymore whatever it is or maybe you need more cheetos like i'm not judging you know like you need cheetos eat the fucking cheetos you need them but like i just think that that's another thing about the politeness and and for women, but for so many people, you know, like we were in this sort of delusion dream of capitalism where it's like, well, I got to do this thing and I got to buy the next thing and I got to get this thing and I got to do the taste this thing and I got to try that restaurant. And I got to do this thing. And it's like, well, what do I really need? Right. We're not allowed to take up those spaces in terms of like, as women, and I, and I think that's uh, witchcraft is the antidote for that. Um, as as you know, women growing up, we are taught 
Don't take up the space. Don't draw attention. And if you do draw attention, it has to be this kind of attention, not that kind of attention. Uh, you have to be nice and you have to be polite and don't make waves and, and smile, smile, smile. You know, you have to be pretty, but not too, not too pretty. pretty, not too pretty, not too pretty. Otherwise Mm-mm. you're, you're stupid. <laughs> yeah. And people are going to, oh, and, and you know, be proud of your body, be confident in your body, unless you look like this and then don't show off the good parts because you're fat girl and nobody wants to see that. Like literally I've been told that in my life. Like, so, you know, it's all these conflicting messages. So we just learn. Yes, I will. I'd be happy to lift this couch and put it in your car. Just like me. And and at the same time you like me, please don't pay attention to me. And don't hurt me because if you pay attention to me, you might attack me because I'm also afraid of that. Like we're just all these conflicting ideas, right, about who we're supposed to be. And then we discover when, if we're lucky enough to discover we are witches and get that voice back. And go, mm, we start learning. I think it's always about starting with self and learning, like you said, uh, Risa, like, how does my body feel? Do I have this sort of uncomfortable feeling when I walk in a room? I shouldn't be here. Should I be here? Do I like this? Do I not like this? And it starts with those little seeds. And then once we see that in ourselves, we're able to take that power and bring it out into the world and notice it in others and in other situations. Yeah, exactly. And not to, I mean, this is an embodied experience that I don't have, but I've seen Black women coworkers when I worked in professional environments, when they raise their voice to raise a legitimate issue, the whole tone of the way that they were spoken to was very different. Mm -hmm. And so I had to have it pointed out to me, like, but once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I do think that that's part of what's so powerful about the idea of like alternative futurisms, right? Like witch futurisms, African futurisms, Afrofuturisms, indigenous futurisms. It's like, we can write stories, make art, make music, cast spells that imagines a world where we evade that, where we have, where we, where, or where it just doesn't happen or where we like dance past it, where we've like empowered each other enough, listened, told the truth enough, shattered some shit enough that, you know, that that weight, that discourse weight, discursive weight and, you know, systemic weight is just, I don't know, we slip past it. And I, I especially want to imagine that for black women, because I, you know, in the words of the Kambahi River Collective, when black women are free, then all people will be free. So I go back to that, you know, anyway, it's not my, not my, not my role, but I, I just think, I think about it. I think about the way that that plays out in different bodies. And, and like you said before, it's not mine to talk about, it's hard to talk about, but I want to try if I feel in my body that like, there's a way in which this is different for other people. I want to try to find words. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our amazing sponsors, and we will be right back with The Missing Witches. Hey guys, I've just got to tell you all about The Robin's Nests. They're one of my absolute favorite shops uh, for everything for my metaphysical and spiritual needs. They've got gifts and crafts and potions and ritual items and books and books and books uh of course candles and crystals and ritual wear so so many things to help you on your spiritual practice um but what really makes the robin's nest special is the owner robbie packard she does so much to bring community and friendship and openness 
welcoming people into her space at the Robin's Nest, but also into this spiritual space of anything, pagan, witchcraft, spiritual, uh, you've just, if you're local to Massachusetts, you've got to go check her out. She's down in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Um, and if you're not local, please check them out online uh, at therobinsnestma.com. She's able to ship all over. She's able to get you what you need. She's available for questions. And of course, they have tons of online uh, workshops and classes and rituals. So really a way for you to connect with a spiritual community uh, right now from your home. Check them out, therobinsnestma.com. And send Robbie a little bit of love from me because when you when you meet her, when you go to her shop, you are going to be transported into a world of loving magic and community growth. Hey guys, are you loving this podcast, learning all about witchcraft, spirituality, and paganism? Check out my friends over at That Witch Life Podcast. Such a fun podcast. I've been on it myself. Great, great people over there. Tons of information. Uh, really a lighthearted look at what it means to be a modern witch in the Pacific Northwest specifically. That Witch Life podcast is hosted by three lifelong best friends. Talking Living as a Witch in Today's World, hosted by witchcraft author Courtney Weber, who you'll know because she's amazing and she's been a guest on this show. Uh, Kanani Soleil, who is, uh, they also call her the soccer mom Morticia. Um, and of course, the magical performance artist Hilary Whitmore. Each week, they interview experts from the witchcraft community worldwide and explore real spells, spooky pop culture, and hilarious magical mishaps. Honestly, if you listen to the three of them chat before they interview their guest on every episode, you will be peeing in your pants. It is a hilarious good time filled with magic and practical application uh, of, of living as a witch today. You're going to love it. You can check out some episodes right now. They've got a uh, recent guests have been uh, Rachel True from The Craft, Helen Garcia, who you might know from The Great British Baking Show, one of my favorites, and of, co- of course, the fabulous uh, Miss Stormy Daniels talking all about her uh, paranormal um, investigations, which is so cool. Learned so much about Miss Stormy Daniels in that episode. Check them out, thatwitchlife.com. That Witch Life Podcast. They have new episodes every Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back with Risa and Amy from Missing Witches. Um, we're talking all kinds of feminism and magic and we're all up on our soapboxes and getting all riled, which is awesome. Um, I want to talk now about your upcoming book. Tell me all about what has inspired this new book. It won't be out until September, correct? September 2023. Um, so we've got a while to anticipate it, but... Um, it's super exciting. Tell us uh, how you came to create this new book, what you're hoping people will get from it. 
Um, well, our first book, since this is a video, um, we're so used to working with audio yes. that I rarely get to actually, you know, our first book, um, Missing Witches, Recovering True Histories of Feminist Magic. Um, it it follows our podcast in the sense that we um, tell the stories of, you know, witches from all over the world. And it also includes a few of the witches that we met the next book that's coming out in September, new moon magic, <laughs> 13 anti-capitalist tools of resistance and re-enchantment. I got it. <laughs> resistance and re-enchantment. Um, I think part of, part of the impetus was the sort of, and, and, and don't get us wrong. We, we love a pentagram earring as much as the next guy. Um, the next person and the next witch. Um, but the commercialization, the commodification of witchcraft is to us so antithetical to actual witchcraft mm. that we 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 wanted to make something that was about the tools that are free, that are not extractive in the sense that, again, like Risa was saying earlier, you know, so much of Wicca, especially, you know, modern witchcraft is so appropriative. It's so extractive. But there, it doesn't need to be because there are so many things that are belong to all of humanity mm -hmm. from our Neanderthal relatives mm -hmm. all the way up to our present society. Mm -hmm. And those tools of witchcraft for us are stuff like dance geometry mm -hmm. um rituals you know um poisons and potions and for us poisons and potions is like kitchen witchcraft right mm -hmm. um the garden you know there's no culture that owns loving the moon uh, there's no culture that owns planting a garden mm -hmm. so we want we wanted to create something that was you know antithetical to capitalism but also antithetical to appropriation and the extraction that we've seen so much so we had such a good time going around the wheel of the year with the first book yes that we 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 stayed in this temporal you know we got so many so many people said to us about the first book like you know maybe they sped through it and they read it all in two days we've had people tell us that but we've yeah. also had people tell us like i've savored the book over the course of the year and like in december i read the yule chapter and in may mm -hmm. i read the beltane chapter mm -hmm. um again it's, witchcraft is so diy we're like take our book and do what you want with it. <laughs> read, read. there's no right way to do this yes um so yeah so what we've done this time is we we've gone through the the signs of the zodiac and we've paired these tools, like, for example, Leo, the new moon in Leo is music. You know, Leo is, Leo loves the spotlight. And whether you love the spotlight or not, you can you can take that Leo energy and put it into just experimenting. We're not telling you to become a professional musician right. in, in August and, a, a you know, a professional something else in another month. Right. But just try it. We just want you to try I taste a little something from the buffet of human history of of reenchantment and we say resistance and reenchantment because um we we fight against things but we also have to be fighting for things and that's mm. our notion of reenchantment like we are resisting you know patriarchal capitalist um racist white supremacy colonialism we're resisting all that but we also love 
spinning in circles and smelling flowers. And that's important too. That's so important too. And again, like these radical acts of joy Mm. for those of your listeners or viewers who do feel overwhelmed Mm -hmm. in this moment, being over the top joyful is a radical act. And it is an act that, that harms patriarchy. You know, so think of it that way, you know. One of my friends was saying with the with the drag laws, posted something like, like drag drag is a threat to no one. And I was like, actually disagree. Drag is a threat to binary thinking. Drag is a threat to patriarchy. Drag is a threat to the status quo. Drag is a threat to the laws of man. You know, all of these things. But these are the kinds of threats that we're really into. Yes. These are the things that we want to. Polish. So um, that's where the resistance and re-enchantment comes from. We're trying to do both things. We're resisting, but we're also tasting the papaya juice and letting it run down our chins, as Olomi told us once. That is spectacular. And and you're right, especially when, when things feel their darkest and things feel their saddest, finding gratitude, finding joy, finding moments of pleasure with you know in those times and being able to share those with others and live an example of i know the world feels like it's falling to shit but there is still growth happening outside there's buds on the trees i'm going to be joyful about the buds on the trees in the coming spring even though yes. my yard is still covered in two feet of snow right so <laughs> and that's such i'm in i'm in uh, new hampshire so um we had like two feet of snow last week and now i've got robins sitting on top of my snow there is still hope and those radical acts of joy those radical acts of pleasure remind us that there is still hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we wanted to tell stories in each of the chapters. So we combine um, histories, stories that we've like researched and written about women, queer people who either identified as witch or who something that they contribute helps us understand what our definition of witches. So we're not necessarily, we are the missing witches. We're missing you. We're going out looking for what we're longing for. And we've, you know, we found these people where we were like, Amy, I have to fucking tell you about this person. Like that's the entire motivation for the project. It's like, dude, let me tell you this story. Um, And so we, we put that in the book. Like we want you to have a story about like a black indigenous freedom fighter who talked to birds and could read the wind. Like we want you to have the, and then also the knowledge of how contemporary witches, like she's in the knife about, she's in the knife. She's in the chapter about the knife, the knife about the chapter about the blade. Oh, I'm getting tired and tumbly. Um, but we want you to have access to an idea of people using a knife, uh, whether it's for ritual purposes or resistance purposes or in the kitchen. Like we want, we share our own experiences of starting to cut switches or keeping a knife on me all the time and becoming comfortable with the sharp edge of things. Like we want to call forth in you with these touch points from history and from current people we've interviewed, these different facets of your power. That is incredible. There, we sort of delve into memoir a bit too, and the the reason that we do that is because, uh, for me anyway, you know, you learn about somebody like Monica Show, and I encourage your listeners and viewers to Google Monica Show S J O O. 
Um, and then, okay, well, so what? How does that affect my life? Hmm. Here's how. And I think, you know, that that's how memoir came in. It wasn't like, I want to tell you my life story. It was like, I learned about this right. and here's how I related to it. Here's how I modernized it. Here's how it made a difference in my life. Right. Because a lot of times, you know, that happens. Somebody will tell you something and you're like, so? And, and they're like, well, the ramifications <laughs> of this for your life are right. this and that. And then you're like, oh, shit. Okay. I do need to care about that. So it's 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 interview. It's history. It's memoir. It's ritual. It's, it's incantation and poetry. We're really proud of it. We're really proud of it. So we hope that people will love it. I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I think what you guys are doing um, in the witchcraft community has not been done on this scale. I think what you're talking about is so important. I think your platform to to change things and 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 get these messages out there um, is done in such an artistic and non-threatening way that it really is grabbing so many people's attention. You should be incredibly proud of what you've built and and where you're going. And I think this book is really going to, um, it's going to expand people's awareness of what you do and their own awareness of their practice and how they can use that practice to create active change in their own spiritual lives and in the communities around them. So I need to thank you for, for the work that you're doing because it's fucking incredible. Um, and I literally wish I could talk to you all goddamn day because <laughs> Same. My, my partner's going to come home and I'm going to be like, fuck the patriarchy. And he's going to be like, he's going to be like, yes, babe, let's go fuck the patriarchy let's together. Do let's do it, honey. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> I just, you're amazing. And um, okay. I want to say if, you hear this, or if you are Dawn, and you want to come to a coven circle, a Missing Witches coven circle, I want you to know that, like, people come all the time who are like, I just didn't know. There's so much I don't know. And we are so deeply in the I don't know together that it's truly a space where Amy and I go to learn from this community of people who are just trying to learn and not fuck it up too much and listen to each other and like cite our sources and understand what this thing is, you know, so many people are on the run from church trauma mm. are like, you know, just trying to find a connection to the earth without being appropriative, you know, have been tongue tied and amnesiac under the weight of colonial culture. We're just trying to like map a way together. So I want everyone to feel welcome. And also that like, yeah, we, ha we don't, we don't know, like, we're just trying to we're, this is the project. It's it's purely it's purely self motivated. We're like trying to learn something that we feel we're missing. Fully, it's it's come learn with us. Um, I think we both kind of uh, had a, like a facial reaction to when you asked us for our expertise. You know, the world of magic is impossible. To, it, the same way it's impossible to care about everything, the world mm -hmm. of magic is impossible to know. And that's mm -hmm. what is delightful for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't we don't get intimidated by like, well, we're never going to know everything. That's so freeing. Mm -hmm. That's so freeing. There's no gatekeeping. Yeah. Because for sure, you know something that I don't know. For mm -hmm. sure you do. Yeah. And I'm talking to you, Dawn, but also like to your listeners and yeah. viewers, like for sure there's, there's magical stuff that you know all of it that I don't. So like 
come come to a meeting and let's let's learn together. I think and maybe that's, that's why you say like it was, you know, it's it's not we're not intimidating because we are like, hey, right, you know, we're not gurus. We don't right. we're we're not trying to be um what's the word that I'm looking for? Aspirational. And yet you are. And yet you are like because <laughs> you are us. You are us. We don't right. have we don't have anything that you don't already have. And if we can just wake you up to that, then mission accomplished. I think you you really hit the nail on the head in saying like we don't really know um because none of us really fucking know what like what we know is what works for us, right? And and I think that's the thing that attracts so many people as as uh you said Risa um dealing with like fallout from church trauma right? Hello, me, um, for the for my entire life, right? Uh, and so many people have fallout from church trauma. Um, but I know what works for me, and you know what works for you, and where we learn is the spaces in between, and, you know, what I do versus what you do, and where they come together, and where they differ. Go, oh, I never thought about it that way, and oh, I wasn't sure, like, oh, you do this, and I do that. Like, that's where growth happens in witchcraft, in life, in our own mental and physical health. Like that's where growth happens in the spaces in which we don't know. So thank you for, for saying, you know, I'm not an expert. I, you know, like that's so refreshing and I'm sorry. Uh, you fucking are inspirational. So deal with it. Um, so tell everyone where they can find you both online, how to buy this book when it comes out, all of your your social handles and all that jazz. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll answer that with a story, which is when I first called Amy and was like, I want to do this project called Missing Witches, where we like tell little stories about witches. And Amy was like quiet for two seconds. And I, I thought she was like, maybe yes, maybe no. No, she was Googling. She was like, that name's too good. For sure, it's taken. She was on all the platforms looking to see if Missing Witches had been taken. And it hadn't been taken anywhere. So she snagged it like everywhere. She gets awesome. <laughs> so if you're looking for Missing Witches, it's probably Instagram.com slash Missing Witches, Facebook.com slash Missing Witches. Witches, missingwitches.com. We got all the, the the home base is is well established thanks to Amy's aggressive googling early on. I mean, I mean, Dawn, you you come from a musical background. Have you ever tried to come up with a band name? Oh, Literally God. every word oh, God, and no. combination of words in the English language is taken <laughs> I, as I, a band name. I did. Like, I tried to missing like witches coming up with the podcast like, name. I was like, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> fucking know. I don't. It's I taken. Don't, I don't, everything's taken. It's taken. And yeah. I was like, for sure, that's a band name. Like Risa said, it's too good. It's awesome. It rolls off the tongue. It's awesome. There's no way there's not a band called that. And when there wasn't, it was like, literally, like, we had, you know, our handles and our email address before we had a concept of <laughs> yes. what we were doing. Because yes. I was like, that download is coming to someone else if mm. I don't get grab yes. it out of the air right now. And I mean, that's a good lesson for your listeners, too. Like, if you have an idea... You know, we spoke, I'm sorry, I know you're trying to wrap up. We spoke to like a a feminist, lesbian author, so prolific. She said, Judy Grain, um, she said to me, don't be afraid of your ideas. Mm. Write them down. Mm-hmm. Write them down. Mm-hmm. And I said, what what do you what do you do when you have that imposter syndrome mm. syndrome of like, I don't know enough, I'm not good enough? Again, this is a woman in her 80s now who's like lived as a lesbian through the 60s. Like she's seen it, she's done it, she's fought against it. Right. She said, Oh, that little voice in your head, 
I say, how many books have you written? So I want you to talk down to your like inner demon like that too. Oh yeah, inner demon. How many fucking books have you written? Right. Don't tell me. Like, right? I guarantee your inner demon has written zero books, has started zero podcasts, has painted zero right? paintings, has baked zero loaves of bread. So yeah, don't be afraid of your ideas and tell your inner demon to f- just shut the fuck up. <laughs> There's a great quote from uh, one of my favorite movies, Don't Judge Me. Uh, it's um, Under the Tuscan Sun. And it's the scene where the main character is going to go and and she's looking at like listings for real estate. It's in the very beginning. And uh, she's st- talking to this woman in the crowd who's just a stranger. And they're both looking at these real estate listings together. And she's like, oh, no, I can't buy a house in Italy. Like, it's a terrible idea. And the other woman looks at her and goes, terrible idea don't you just love those? And she walks away. And like, I take that with me all the time. And I think, terrible idea. Yeah, like, just take one of your fucking terrible ideas. Just pick one. Because I've got like a thousand at a time, right? Like, you guys like a million ideas. Pick one and work on it for a couple of months. And if it doesn't work, throw it away and start on another terrible idea. Like, just, just fucking do it for it. a couple just, hours. Right? I'm not. I'm not. We're not even asking you to devote a month. Right. Just, like, just work on it for five minutes yeah. and see what happens. See what happens. See what. Okay. <laughs> so we can find you and everything amazing that you do at Missing yeah. Witches Everywhere. Missing Witches Everywhere. Missingwitches.com is our home base. That's where, um, if you want to subscribe, we do a, a weekly mini podcast called The Missing Witches RX. That's our weekly prescription. Uh, it's like music and spells. It's like it's a, it's your witch prescription for Love the it. week. It's basically how we're we're fucking surviving this week. Um, and then yeah, the podcast is on all the podcast places. We're starting a new season um, right now in spring. It's a kinship season, so there's kinship meditations and interviews coming out. Mm. And uh, the book, Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, is available anywhere. We love it if you can order it through your indie bookstore. Or if you go to bookshop.org slash missingwitches, we have our books there, including the next one, which is available for pre-order. And pre-orders are magic, and they help us a lot. Yes. Um, but if you go to our Missing Witches bookshop, one of our coven mates is actually going through our like almost 200 past episodes for every time someone has mentioned a book that was important to them or come on the podcast to talk about a book. So you can basically find the Missing Witches podcast curriculum now on our bookshop. Uh, yeah, that's all the things. I'm probably forgetting 12 things. And we'll put all of your information, all of your links and everything will go on the show notes so people will be able to find you everywhere. Cool. Um, so... Before we wrap up, I've got to ask you my signature question, which I ask everyone at the end of every interview. It has nothing to do with anything that we talked about, okay? As you know, I am a kitchen witch. If I were to make one magical meal for you, what would it be and why? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with ancestral food. Um, you would make... Um, chicken paprikash with no kedli for me. You might make some krampush begli to go with it. You might make some turushusa. Um, yeah, you would make Hungarian peasant food for me Hungarian. if you wanted to. to paprikash. I've never made paprikash, but I've always wanted to. Mm, you have to do it with the no kedli, though. You have to do it with the. Um, there's a different word for it in German, and they're smaller, but they're basically just like flour, egg water, salt, and then you put them in boiling water and they become these sort of like fat dumplings. Yes. And then you put the you put the paprikash over that. 
Um, oh my I make god, it every my mouth is watering. I could Christmas smell it. Eve, yeah. I could smell I it. I only make it on Christmas Eve, um, as sort of like an ancestor altar yes. on, on, on my stove. Yeah. That's how it's done. And what about you, Risa? Um yeah, so my my ancestral magic meal is a uh, cold board. So we I have like twelve Danish women cousins. I, there's so many of us. We're we're a terrifying sisterhood of of Viking descendants on that side. Um, and we, yeah, every year we do a cold board. So it's like a three course meal of open face sandwiches. So you do fish and you have all these, and there's all these traditional ways of preparing every single part that goes on the table for every single course. And, you know, we're not really Danish. We're like Canadians. So we've like inherited this ritual from our grandmother who's no longer alive and we do it in her honor. So yeah. And I'm vegan now. So now we do like the fish course, we do our fake version. And then there's a cheese course and a meat course. We can't eat any of it. We make all our own versions of everything. Mark and I. hilarious. Uh, But yeah, I like a cold board. and, And there's like a drinking song that's like, in Norwegian, I think, and you do shots of Akavit and it's like sort of uproarious and you have to do anybody who wants to do a toast has to sing the song. And so it just becomes like a crying, singing, beautiful <laughs> act of thanks. I love that you recreating the ancestral food in a vegan way. I think <laughs> it's just, you know, cause I, like, so I, I'm, I'm obviously Italian. I'm very Italian. Um, and I have celiac and now um, I can't, I can also not eat dairy. So like the only things I can eat are like meat and vegetables. That's kind of it. And um, like I, to, having to learn how to make all of my grandmother's, my Italian grandmother's pasta recipes and all, you know, everything gluten-free just it took years and they're only okay like they'll never be the same but you still do it with the love and the intention and that's that's what matters right that's what matters a a friend of mine gave me a book called the vegan mennonite and it's the same thing they've like taken all of these mennonite ancestral uh, recipes and veganized them so yeah we're we're doing things so many sausages so many sausages (laughs) that's hilarious (laughs) How many sausages can you make out of cashews and, right. and tempeh? You know, like right. it's hilarious. <laughs> um, you guys have been just amazing. And again, I wish, I wish, wish, wish that we could stay and 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 just keep talking for the rest of the day. But um, we cannot, which sucks. Uh, you're awesome. I cannot thank you enough for being here. This was so fantastic. Missing witches. Everyone needs to check you guys out. Uh, find them. Buy their books be part of their community and uh, get the fuck out in the world and use your magic for the good of all. Cause that's what we're here for. Right. Um, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, everyone, I wish you many blessings and so, so much gratitude. <laughs>